Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this episode, we're looking at the automotive industry. Motor vehicles are the most complained about consumer items in the UK. That's according to Owen Kennedy, the Trading Standards Lead Officer for Automotive Issues. Perhaps, when you think about it, that's not too surprising. Many motorists invest a huge amount of emotional significance in their cars, as well as cold hard cash, not to mention the fact that they entrust their vehicles with the safety of themselves and their families every day. So, when something goes wrong with a car, owners are likely to take it personally. When it comes to consumer protection in the automotive industry, what are the big challenges facing trading standards professionals around car sales and repairs? Has technology made it easier for trading standards to crack down on issues such as mileage tampering? Or has the spread of online sales made it easier for dishonest traders to hoodwink the consumer? And what effect has alternative dispute resolution had on resolving customer complaints? We spoke to Owen Kennedy about how he deals with such problems in the automotive sector. And we also spoke to his predecessor, Gerald Taylor, now retired from the lead officer role but still a trading standards practitioner about the big changes he witnessed during his career and the challenges facing trading standards in the present day. Owen got things into gear by describing his daily duties. I'm Owen Kennedy and I work for Doncaster Trading Standards. I'm a senior trading standards officer and my primary day-to-day role, I suppose, at the moment is uh, two things. We we have a very active motor trade partnership scheme, which has been running 20 years. And out of that, we've built close relationships with a number of the major motor groups and so have them as a primary authority companies and probably the lead officer in relation to most of those primary authority arrangements. When you say you work closely with the motor trade, what's the main emphasis there? Is it, is it more on sales or on repairs or, or, or the, the whole gamut? In the first instance, the motor trade partnership was set up uh, for retail sales. But uh, we have an ADR scheme that runs alongside it. And therefore, we do deal with uh, complaints about members in particular, about servicing and after sales as well. And it inevitably has brought me into contact with other parts of the industry as well. Just this morning, I I was talking to DVLA about a particularly unusual uh, case that someone had, had contacted me about. So how do you usually come into contact with specific problem cases? Do, do people come to you with complaints or do you come upon them by going out to garages and, and doing inspections and that type of thing? Uh, in Doncaster, we're very proactive with the motor trade. Over the past two years, uh, we've done projects both years, uh, visiting uh, I think pretty much 100% of our motor dealers. Uh, and with the the Motor Trade Partnership, they get an annual audit every year as part of as part of their membership. And so we are quite proactive, but I'm not sure that's the same across the whole of the country. I, I think uh, far more, I mean, as, as people will be aware, we are moving towards intelligent-led modelling. As a result, I think far more is driven by complaints that come in triggering investigations what kind of relationships do you have with the dealerships themselves the companies um, that are part of the motor trade partnership actually are very open with us they pay a fee every year and that contributes to the salary of a bespoke officer who who works that partnership day to day helps them deal with difficult complaints and actually 
it helps them get things right in the first instance. They get an audit every year. We do training events for them during the year. And they pay between something like £300 and £1,000 to be a member each year, depending on the size of their business. Gerald Taylor is a trading standards practitioner who retired from the automotive lead officer role in December 2018. I asked him about what response he would get when he offered garages advice on trading standards issues. Did they see the business benefits of conforming to consumer protection law? There was two distinct camps at the time. There was the, the, the sort of marginal rogue trader who wasn't bothered at all. And very few of those ever took you up on, on the offer because they got no intentions of, um, of being open and honest, basically. But then there was the, uh, the major retailers and the large independents that I think genuinely did want to get it right, but there was nowhere to go for training to, to know exactly what they had to do. So I, I fulfilled a gap there, and in addition to that, I offered them a legal helpline on, uh, on trading standards matters, but also on sale of goods matters. So I, I would, if they had a customer who complained against them for um, perhaps something that had gone wrong with the car since they'd taken it away, then then I would investigate that, see whose fault it was, if it was anybody's fault, and and suggest a way to um, to resolve it as a as a like a an arbitrator, if you like. And if if that didn't work, the the end result was um, a day in court, in, in which case I would be the um, the advocate and the the representative of the garage, and I would defend there their actions at court for them, if I believed that their actions were correct and reasonable. So, Owen, how does your involvement with um, alternative dispute resolution work? We've got a two-stage process. Obviously, by the time a complaint comes to our ADR scheme, it should have exhausted the dealer's own internal complaints procedure. The first stage is it gets passed to a case officer who would attempt mediation and they're really looking for a practical solution that will help both parties. So it it will be something like uh, offering a free service or some other form of compensation that's very practical. If that doesn't bring resolution, then the second stage is it can go for arbitration. That awards, if appropriate, a financial sum to the consumer. There's perhaps a, a common perception or sort of a stereotype that used car dealers can be a bit dodgy. Is that fair, do you think? You can't get away from the fact that cars and used cars in particular are the most complained about consumer item. But I think there are some reasons for that. Uh, Firstly, they're a very complex item. They're relatively expensive. They're often the second or third most expensive item a person makes. And unlike a lot of the white goods, people form an emotional attachment to a car and, and they think of it as a new car to them even if it's in fact a used car. And they have expectations which you don't necessarily put on other consumer items. When you then add to that, the person selling the vehicle has probably very limited personal knowledge of the vehicle, knows very little about its history, may even have been misled himself over problems on the vehicle at the time he took it in. 
and you start to end up with a package that makes you realise why it's such a problem industry. And so you can't get away from the fact that there are a lot of complaints about used cars, but the majority of motor traders are keen to see those complaints resolved. They they rely on repeat custom, uh, they don't want their reputation tarnished, and will usually bend over backwards to see what they can to keep a customer happy. However, that's not always possible, either because of the expectations of the customer or just because of the financial situation. And that, that's when, obviously, the disputes get more difficult to resolve. In, in terms of the real problems in the industry, uh, clocking or mileage adjustment, as it tends to be called these days, remains a problem. The, the changes in technology haven't really discouraged that in any way, shape or form. And changes in legislation have, in fact, uh, made it easier for certain companies to advertise that they offer these services. I think also the growth of uh, PCP in terms of finance plans, where you have a limited mileage that you're meant to do each year, actually encourage people to adjust the mileage on a vehicle if they're exceeding that mileage. And so the, the problem certainly hasn't gone away. And I think, like in a lot of areas, as technology changes, the uh, way in which people try and circumnavigate it just changes as well. So when you say tampering with mileage has become easier, why is that? I mean, there is a definite loophole at the moment. When we were under the uh, Trade Descriptions Act, it was an offence directly to apply a false trade description to an item. So the actual act of changing the mileage was an offence. Now now we're in a situation where, under the Consumer Protection from Unfair Trading Regulations, that offence doesn't exist. So you're left with having to add them in as a third party due to whose act or default someone else has committed the offence of supplying the vehicle. And so it just becomes a stage more remote um, and, and more difficult to, to tackle because of that. But presumably new technologies improve things as well. One of the areas that has improved, firstly, is that uh, a lot of the main motor groups have computerised systems that record the mileage at every service interval. So we have got an increased amount of information available about a vehicle uh, from its service history uh, and as well as the MOT history. Uh, if if it's added at that stage. That having been said, they don't rely on the recorded information in the engine management system. They they tend to rely on what it says on the odometer on, on the uh, dashboard. And so even that isn't fail-proof. So although we're seeing an increase in the amount of information, it doesn't actually mean it's any more accurate than, than it has ever been. Jerry, what were the big changes in technology that you saw? Do you think uh, that it made things easier for trading standards or, or for rogue traders? The introduction of technology has, has had its benefits and its downside. From the, the benefit side, it's a lot easier now to, to prove a clocking case, providing you've got the cooperation of the, um, the relative sort of bodies that you need to obtain the information. I think that the laws have made the sale of a motor car more transparent 
for those who stick to the law. And I think there's more information in the public domain nowadays than there ever was when I was first a, a trading standards officer um, because there was absolutely nothing in the public domain uh, back in 1992. Now, I mean, you, for example, you can go online and you can have a look at the mileage on the government website providing you've got the registration number of the car because now they have to declare it on the MOT certificates that you can view online. So you can go and have a look and see if it looks right, whereas that facility was never available. You can also go to a main dealer nowadays. You can get information on a by just giving a registered number. You can get um, service information and sometimes mileage information um, regarding a vehicle um, that you might be interested in. So again, years ago, that, that was not available because everything was paperwork and not electronic. So on the upside, I think, yes, the, there is a, uh, a better deal, if you like, for, um, for consumers. On the downside, I'm rather disappointed that the government and the car manufacturers haven't taken up the facilities that are afforded by um, technology because with the technology we've got today um, most motor vehicles now have their talking exclusively about servicing and mileage most of the, the motor vehicles nowadays have got their servicing records and their mileage records embedded electronically in two or three places on the vehicle that they're, they're held in uh, engine management systems that are the main one is is normally sort of under the driver's seat or thereabouts. Uh, others are secreted, so hopefully they can't be tampered with. And the blessing in disguise of that for the consumer is if you do have a motor vehicle, uh, you've bought a, something that's new to you, you can go along to the dealership and say, I'm, I'm not happy about the mileage on this. Can you just check? And they can check and tell you there and then exactly what the mileage was and when the services were, were undertaken. So I just find, and all that information could be uploaded to a protected cloud, which would then give investigators, like the trading standards, or the police, instant access to the information they need to conduct um, a quick inquiry instead of making it a protracted affair. And all the information is, is readily available. But that hasn't been done as yet. Well, Owen, obviously one thing that's exploded in recent years is the popularity of online used car sales. Is it a challenge to identify people who are selling used cars and posing as a private individual when, in fact, they're running a business? Funnily enough, uh, I was at a meeting just yesterday of a group called VSTAG, and it is the main online marketplaces for motor vehicles who get together and discuss the various ways their systems are being abused, along with members of the police and, and trading standards and, and other organisations. I was surprised yesterday this subject came up in a slightly different format, but they go to some lengths to try and identify the people who are posing as private individuals without going into all the, all the technical details for, for obvious reasons. You know, they do, they do trace people who are using similar details, the same IP addresses 
too many times and actually start to say you've got to go into the business category. So they 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 are actually doing far more than historically newspapers would have done, for example. What impact do you think cuts are having on this area of trading standards? I think the difficulty with cuts in local government is they've not they've not been uniform. And so in Doncaster, we've not done too badly. Or certainly when I talk to colleagues around the country, I don't think we've done too badly. There are pockets where the service has been decimated. And the difficulty is with any policing function, it's there because of a historic problem. If you take away the policing of whatever the problem was, the problem starts to come back in one shape or form because it it is a deterrent and you can't get away from that fact. So as services reduce, we are going to see the increase in in various consumer crimes. You can't you you just can't get away from that fact. So Owen, what what were the main changes that you've witnessed during your time in trading standards? Oh gosh, um, I mean you have to bear in mind that I started working in a trading standards service in 1982, and therefore I think everything has changed because home computers were not thought of really in 1982. I don't think we even had one in the office when I first started. Uh, it was a few years later that, that we had a PC uh, that we used for a number of things. So I think, yes, things have changed drastically no one would have thought no one really thought of uh, distant selling in those days because you looked in the newspaper in the classified adverts and they were all fairly local to you and so huge changes have happened uh, with distant selling with online advertising and selling but the whole marketplace has changed quite dramatically the whole way the credit industry works has changed with with pcp plans you know it used to be higher purchase or nothing so that the whole landscape really has has changed during that period would, would you say that the automotive industry has become more homogenized are there fewer independents and have the big dealerships become more powerful i think you still have independent local groups but I think the bigger groups have got bigger Uh, there's no doubt about that at all when when you look at the automotive management top 100 list you you start to realize how big some of these these companies are you know four or five billion pound a year turnover you know I think the big companies just have got bigger the others have have just tucked in behind them So when it comes to dealing with a consumer complaint, do you find the bigger companies are able to respond quickly enough to a specific problem or can their processes be a bit more unwieldy than the smaller players? I think when you look at the the top companies, they do not have any intent to harm consumers. They are, however, trying to run a profitable business. And so you do sometimes find at a local level that the local management are restricted in how much they can do. But often, if you can get through to the right people, and for those companies that have got primary authorities, the primary authority contacts can often can often help. You normally find that you can find some form of resolution. What, what best practice advice would you give to other trading standards professionals? I think the issues are hard to understand until you really get a little bit inside the industry. It, it's easy to look 
at certain players and say we get a lot of complaints about them, there must be a problem. What you need to understand alongside that is the scale of their business. You know, you may get a lot of complaints about a particular trader, but that could be because he's selling an awful lot of cars. And I think you need to look at them in relation to the unit sales they do a year and actually then decide whether you've got a problem or not, rather than just look at top-line figures. Otherwise, our eyes would always be taken to the volume sellers. And what we'll be doing is ignoring the people that don't sell so many cars, but every car that comes off their forecourt is a challenge. And Jerry, what about you? What tips would you give to consumers? For around about £100, you can obtain an expert report on your vehicle before you buy it. The RAC do them, the AA do them, and there are a number of independent engineers around the country that advertise themselves carrying out these, these independent inspections. And when you're spending probably the second biggest thing you're going to buy in your lifetime, anything up to, what, £50,000 on a motor car, or even down the other end of the scale, £5,000. It's worth throwing another £100 in to have an expert go and have a look at it before you actually pay the money over, because you're going to get peace of mind on the roadworthiness of it, and possibly an indication of the future durability of it. You're going to get to know if there's any work needs doing on it at that particular moment in time, and you're going to get to know a little bit about the providence, and hopefully whether the mileage is genuine. So all the things that that should play on the mind of a, of a new purchaser are all covered by one of these inspections for around about £100. So ultimately, what do you think the main benefit of trading standards is to society? I think the main benefit of trading standards is going back to a quite an old mantra that we're here to both protect the consumer from the unscrupulous trader, but also to provide a fair and level playing field on which business can compete on a reasonable level. I think therefore the benefit is to everybody because legitimate business has an opportunity to thrive and the consumer can go into the marketplace with some confidence. That has to be what we're working towards at the end of the day. You can't get away from the fact that, particularly with unroadworthy vehicles, then there is obviously safety concerns. We have had instances where where wheels have fallen off vehicles as the, as people drive them home. Uh, one car caught fire as people people drove it home. You know, and you have to worry about that happening and the potential consequences. So you can't underestimate the safety side, particularly of unroadworthy vehicles. Jerry, when it comes to trading standards, what do you think the government should be doing differently? I can only say to government financially that they sincerely need to inject a huge amount of cash into the function of trading standards departments to undo what has been done to decimate them over the last 20 years. It's become a bit of a non-career because um, the, there are not many recruits coming through. There are not many trainees who are choosing a trading standards um, career because it doesn't look like there is one, really. Um, it's, it's, a bit, uh, it's something that's, again, a bit on the back burner. And before we lose all the expertise that there is 
within the trading standards um, departments. Something needs to be done sooner than later so we can pass on all that knowledge to new recruits, new trainees, and we can keep the, the consumers of the UK safe. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to Owen Kennedy and Gerald Taylor for speaking to us, and thank you for listening. We'll be back again in a fortnight with more insight into the world of trading standards. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.